0: Hello and welcome to Captain's Corner. We'd like to take a moment to thank you, our listeners, for making this podcast such a success. We have a great lineup of guests for you to enjoy this season. So we ask you to share this podcast on your social media, with your friends and family, and of course, give us a like and leave a review. Hope you guys enjoy the season. This season is sponsored by Summit Marketing, Sure Construction, and WPO Development. Thank you for being such great supporters of Captain's Corner. Today on the podcast, we have Captain Nursan Kistan, the Salvation Army Divisional Secretary for Orange County, California.
1: Well, welcome to Captain's Corner. Captain Andy Miller coming to you from Tampa, Florida, and I am so delighted to have Captain Nursan Kistan with me, who is the Divisional Secretary for the Salvation Army's Orange County, California, our work that's happening there. Captain, welcome to Captain's Corner.
2: Andy, it's good to be at Captain's Corner and good to be intersecting with you today.
1: Well, we had an opportunity to, to be together last week as you and your wife, Cheryl, came and s- served um, and ministered to the Florida Division's Officers' Councils, and that was my first time interacting with you. I've heard about you just briefly since COVID's come about, but it was such a delight to to see you and to see your wife and you together in ministry, and I just wanted to get a chance to be able to share some of those things that I experienced last week with some of our listeners. So now somebody, already, they already you already said a few words, and they can tell that your accent is not an Orange County accent. Tell us a little about where you're from and who you are.
2: Well, Andy, when I'm here in Orange County, I tell people I have a Southern accent. But obviously <laughs> when I was in the South, they go, well, obviously it's not a Southern accent. So yes, uh, obviously there are some different routes that uh, lie run in my lineage. One being that I was born in South Africa, and two is that I've spent most of my life uh, from an early
1: age as a child living in Australia. Okay, gotcha. Now, were you involved in the Salv? Have you been involved in the Salvation Army your whole life? Did you grow up in the Salvation Army?
2: No, I didn't. I'm 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 not a sal- Salvation salvation. I'm the uh, child of the regiment, as they say. Right, right. I, I did not grow up in the Salvation Army. I adopted the Salvation Army later on in life. Uh, and, but that's a story in itself, Andy.
1: Oh, I, can't, I, 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 I want to get one particular story, and it's going to take a while. So, so I, won't, I won't ask that. Uh, but you served in uh, this—so I guess it was Southern Australia Territory? Or were you uh, a, No, Eastern? I was in the
2: Eastern Territory. Okay. So the Salvation Army in Australia, obviously at one stage, was two territories, right. East and South. I served in the Eastern Territory. I was actually from Sydney, so I was a Sydney-sider, okay. um, which is a beautiful part of the world. But now the territories are together, so they're one territory. Gotcha. But I did serve in the Salvation Army in the Eastern Territory when I was an officer in Australia.
1: So tell me a little bit about like where you served and some of the, th- uh, some of the things you did sure. there. Yeah. So uh, I, I served as a youth pastor
2: for for... Ten years, and uh, that was a great season of life in Sydney Congress Hall, okay. which is our really our city core. Uh, you know, it's the it's the the city church, so to speak. Right. And then from there, we uh, moved to Auburn Salvation Army, where my wife and I served in a very diverse community—134 different nationalities. Wow! In that community, and that community uh, really taught us a lot about life. Taught, taught us a lot about culture and ethnicities. And actually, understanding how to intersect with people from different places of the world, and that was beautiful because you know, you 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 your all your senses are just flooded with different smells and aromas, and your taste buds with different foods and flavors from the world. It was like living in the global city of the world.
1: Wow! You know, one and then from there that obviously we-, we went on top of the okay. you ended up being like at that, that appointment was unique and and special. It seemed like. The day sent you there to close the salvage his work, but it ended up growing. Is that, or am I am getting that confused? Not-
2: no, no, you're 100% right. The Salvation Army in that community was declining, and it was declining for a number of reasons. One is because the community on the outside became very different to the community within the four walls of the Salvation Army yeah. in that particular location. Uh, a lot of the people in that location and the Salvation Army that Auburn were obviously older people, so they were aged. Yeah, um, There wasn't a lot of young people, and so basically, the court started to shrink because what would happen is these people beautiful people with children who just moved out, out to other areas because it was more affordable or because there was more employment opportunities and also because the neighborhood had changed and it, it hadn't become very desirable anymore to live in that sort of a community.
1: Gotcha. Well, now, how did you get to the United States? I was wondering, they asked you this last week.
2: Oh my goodness. Well, that's a story in itself. Well, go ahead and tell I mean, it. Uh, where, Well, it had different parts to it. I mean, uh, Cheryl and I were traveling to the states from time to time over the ten years that we were living in Auburn, but also ministering to different uh, conferences and gatherings at different parts of the United States. And so, uh, obviously, we we've, we were starting to become familiar to different Salvation Army leaders in the U.S. And you know, you know, the armies, even though we're a global network in 131 different countries across the globe. We're also very close and we get to know each other and we get to build relationships. And, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, God opens up doors in mysterious ways, I say.
1: (laughs) But somehow that led you to come here. And, and so what? Well, so, you know, by building, you know, getting to
2: know different people and relationships and so forth. So obviously after a period of time, you know, we had a sensing and prompting that, you know, Um, that God was opening up new opportunities. And, you know, I've always learned, Andy, in any leadership uh, situation we're in, we've truly got to be obedient to where God leads us and prompts us. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, just like the people of Israel and Abraham and Sarah, who are prompted to leave the land that was familiar to them right. and move to a new land, is sometimes what God was doing for us. And you know, Australia was comfortable; it was what we knew, what we understood. It's where our family was, it was where our parents are, uh, our siblings. Right. But God was calling us to something different—not wow. uh, uh, something better, but something different. Right. And I think, think it's, and I really have a sensing, and it's becoming more and more clear. And now, in in our fourth year of ministry, here in the U.S., is God has called us to the U.S. for such a time as this. Mm. You know, where people are seeing a global pandemic and seeing racial injustice happening all around us, and people are asking questions, well, what do we do? How do we respond? I honestly sense that God always raises his people up to respond to the circumstances that the nations are facing. And just like he did with Moses, just like he did with Abraham, just like he did with Isaac and Jacob, and just as he did with Joseph and throughout the history of God's people, Sure uh, and I, my wife, sense that we are here for such a time as this, that God has equipped us with understanding and insights, knowledge and experiences that has allowed us now to, to use those gifts for his glory yes. in this bigger picture. And to be able to help and speak into some of the situations and circumstances we find ourselves in.
1: For instance, you're doing you're chairing the nationals uh, t- uh, from from NHQ for all four American territories, um, a diversity task force. Now I, may, I might have it wrong. And and people who are listening to this don't know this. Maybe maybe they, maybe they already know who you are. But you're an interracial marriage. you I guess you can't quite say you're an African American man. You're an African. Australian Brilliant. American. I don't know if you're an action American yet, but, but that gives you a unique vantage point. Um, and, and to be able to chair that task force, like just those things that you're saying, um, God's equipped you and given you experiences that have led you to serve, uh, in this country at this time in a unique way. Talk to me a little bit about that.
2: You know, it's interesting. It's a great question you ask. You never know why God is taking you on the journey that you're taking. I know taking it.
1: You on. <laughs> I know it. You,
2: you you start off and you think, well, you know what? This is interesting. I don't know what this means. I don't know why we're doing this. But before you know it, he's actually equipping you for what's next. Yeah. And often if we knew what next was, right. I Amen. think we'd be so intimidated. Right. And go, no way. I'm not going to do that. Yep.
1: No, it's thank you. Too crazy,
2: too ridiculous. Too outside the realm of possibility. But I think from the day I was born, God had a plan, and I think he does for all of us. And throughout that time, we are moving on this journey of finding out that his plans are slowly getting fulfilled. Now, sometimes we take a long time to get to where the destination he already has in mind.
1: Right, right. But I,
2: I think, like he says in 1 Samuel 15, it's obedience, right, that he requires right, right. rather than sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so, my role with the National Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity Commission as the chair is helping us with 16 other officers from across the four territories in the USA work together in terms of how we can help have the race conversation in a healthy, productive way, mm-hmm. where we can all sit at the same table sit at the same banquet right. and feast of the same kingdom life Amen. in a way that actually enriches the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Right, And I think also part of that journey is also for us to understand how do we actually diversify as an organization? How do we actually allow ourselves to be truly the reflection of Christ, his kingdom on earth? And I think that's been uh, a, a Brilliant challenge. We're in. Uh, I think we're in our fourth meeting of the commission. Yeah. Uh, there are a very diverse group of in- individuals from Hispanic, Asian Americans, African Americans, um, from all parts of the world, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, all parts of the of the of the nation of the United States. All part of the different s- states. Yeah. And we're yeah. coming together. And we're uniting under this one umbrella. How do we actually move the conversation forward in a healthy
1: and productive way? Now, let me ask you, do you feel like you have a little, is there any resistance to your leadership because you're Australian? Like your experiences, and I mean, I I know, like you just set that out in a beautiful way. Like we're trying to create um, a a situation to the kingdom experience on earth as it is in heaven. But I, I wonder if like, Have you heard, have you had any of that? Or even in your ministry in general, like, well, you don't know what we've been through. You've not been in America. I mean, how, how, talk to me about that. Maybe there's not.
2: Well, you know, human nature is what human nature is, right? It's true. And human nature is. And, you know, I I use the the paradigm of God's word as as the prism that we look into. At no point in time did any leader not have to experience some level of opposition, hardship, and challenge. It's true. I think. Part of the leadership journey of taking any uh, group of people on any journey has to, has to encounter opposition. And I, and I see it this way. If you're going to move anything forward, if, uh, if it's a train or there's always got to be some level of friction right. on the path yeah. for you to find progress. Right, right. So friction and tension and interjection, is part of the process. So to answer your question, of course there must be that. If it's not, some have said it to me personally and some obviously may think it right? B- right. because it's a natural instinct, right? You go, what does an Australian South African have anything to tell us Americans? I mean, geez, we're the greatest nation on the earth. We've been, <laughs> you know, we're, we're one of the most advanced first world countries in the world. And, and you're right, America is an advanced first world world country, but yet, you know, I think God has a sense of humor, right? Right. He's brought this young South African-born Australian, and he's planted him right in the middle of all this. So, you know, I often say, like Paul says in his letter to the church in Galatia, I I don't seek to win the approval of man in any
1: of what I do. If I
2: was to seek to win the approval of man, I would not be doing the will of God. So, I, I, I don't, I actually quite appreciate the fact that people don't always see eye to eye with me. And I think that's part of the human nature Amen.
1: Yeah, yeah. all of us. Yeah. You know, the prob- one of the problems with our society at this moment, I'm talking about American society, is that there is an us versus them culture. Like it's either you're for us or you're against us. And we're separating people out. And unfortunately, even when the language of marginalization happens, I, w- I often lately I've been responding to that a little bit more negatively. Because what, what we're doing is pushing somebody to the margin, but assuming that we're at the center. And this, of course, gets seen as well with the distinction with oppressed and oppressor. But really, us versus them, like this can be a real challenge. Like So just the fact that, I mean, I appreciate probably, I'm, I'm sure you are glad that people are willing to be honest with you. I mean, what a gift that they're able to tell you what they think. Then you can actually work to go forward But even the resistance in itself represents some of the challenges that we have, is that if if that's there, it's like, well, you can't experience this. Well, let's just step step back. What is our goal here? Like, where do we want to go? And hopefully the conversations you're having will lead us there. I'm I'm, I'm prayerful for you as you take these steps in leading that commission. What do you hope will come from that commission?
2: Well, my hope from the commission is that we actually become uh, the church of of Antioch, that we moved from the Church of Jerusalem, which was, wow. was a monocultural Jewish community of faith, yeah. to the Church of Antioch, which depicted a very diverse body of believers, building a kingdom culture opposed to my individual culture. Yeah, I, 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 I take what you say on board, Andy, and I think you make a very, very valid point. I think the challenge for us in this current day and age in the United States of America is that we have uh, very much have been polarized. Yeah, um, yeah. There's two extremes of thought, opinion, views, um, and, and our politicalization of our world. I, 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 it's interesting. I, I, I see this as a beautiful thing, but I see it also. Sometimes a beautiful thing can also be a dangerous thing. Um I see the nationalism within the United States, where people love this nation dearly, and I think it's a beautiful quality. But with anything that is beautiful, if it is, if it's not uh, used right, or if right. it's not uh, guarded well, or uh, approached in the right manner, it can become very detrimental.
1: Right, right. And I think one
2: of the detrimental things is nationalism, and for some, has overseeded a kingdom mindset yeah. and culture. We we are only travelers through this world we are temporary residents yeah of this world uh, yet some of us see that as as something where i, I believe we'll we, especially for those who are part of the salvation army if anyone should be more globally minded yeah. it should be salvationist yeah yeah those who who live in a global organization that actually with William and Catherine Booth, who has had that mandate to win the world for God, we need to recognize that our brothers around us are not our enemies. They're not our foes. They truly what we call them, our brothers, whether you come from China or whether you come from Russia, or whether you come from the Ukraine, or the Democratic Republic of the Congo.
1: Right. We are
2: all brothers and sisters in Christ. And as soon as we start to demonize people based on their race, culture, creed, religion... Right, right. ...then... I believe that polarization is what the enemy wants. He wants to divide us. He
1: wants to weaken us and he wants to distract us. Right. The interesting thing can happen is that there can be a distinction and there's not the distinction made between nationalism and patriotism. And I've always really helped this past summer. Dr. Bill Urey um, had an article in the war cry uh, about a kind of a theological. Uh, theologically centered patriotism. And I think that that's where you have a love for your country, uh, an admiration for the land and the people, but at the same time, not developing into idolatry, which is certainly something that has happened. And you probably have a different perspective on that coming from outside of the United States. That's probably really helpful. So I'm glad that you're able to bring that distinction to the task force.
2: Well, uh, it's been a phenomenal journey on this task force. I believe we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Obviously, the racial tensions and the challenges facing our nation and within our army uh, has been a long one. It's been a long journey. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think, like I often say, is we're having the conversation. And, and you know, whenever you start to have the conversation, then you begin to actually see a forward movement. You know, I'm one of my childhood hero, heroes is Nelson Mandela.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, Mandela is a hero of mine uh, because Yerity is, is a typical example of a man um, who spent more than 27 years in prison,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and he went into prison an angry man, but he says as as part of his own confession, I came out a well, whole, healed man. Mm. Now, you ask yourself the question, how can 27 years' imprisonment do that to a man? Well, I think Nelson Mandela typifies how when confession and redemption and forgiveness plays a role in our life and our thinking, the impact we can have upon a nation and upon the world.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
2: And One of the things that was really, really unique in this is is D.W. de Klerk and Nelson Mandela spent intimate conversations together before it became public. Mm -hmm. And and there were days, months of conversations that took place as the bridging stone of reconciliation.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I
2: think these two men, strong-headed as they were, coming from two different polar opposite positions came to this common table and began to work through the issues of how to bring together a divided South Africa into a united one. Now, his story and that story is compelling. Yes. Because it tells us it is not impossible if there's intentionality and desire for us to have the difficult conversations and have them well. Yes. I think the, fat, the challenge for us, and not just the salvation, but the world we live in, we don't want to have the honest conversations. Right, right. What we see, we see these sparks that come out, and we see this ignition of anger and, and grief and emotion, and it rolls on, and it just gets so unmanaged to do is try to suppress it. So we suppress it, and we push it down as hard as we can, and we try to mitigate against it. hmm mm-hmm but we never deal with it
1: yes, until yeah.
2: it flares up again down the track. Right. And I think that's probably been the storyline or the narrative for the United States for a number of years. Now, some may disagree, but I, from my perspective, seem to see that as the storyline. I mean, we've had in the United States some of the most incredible men and women of faith that have led movements of justice and reconciliation. You think of what Martin Luther King did. You think about... Uh, Elijah Shirley, you think about some of the amazing things we've done, yeah. but yet we're still out in the same position in 2021 as we were in the
1: 1960s. Right, right. In, in in the Salvation Army, I think one of the interesting things for us to like in the United States, what has made our economy and even the way that our country has established has been established is through an, a, a quality of opportunity. Like every, and when we've gone wrong, we haven't. Lived up to an equality of opportunity. I think the danger that can come in our current time is if we propose a, an equality of outcome, where we say we have to have this. Well, it, then that ends up putting uh, in, 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 on all kinds of levels people in the positions that end up can can be challenging that are are not respecting the realities. Of opportunity, Um, so those those are two of the things I think can happen. So, for instance, like you couldn't say like every divisional finance board needs to have a perfectly equitable outcome, which would be let's say thirteen percent dark skin, eleven percent Hispanic, this percent. I mean, by the time you keep going down. Uh, to w- whatever it is, yeah, I don't know if you'll ever be able to satisfy everybody because what it, what's it going to be? Like people who like Doritos and people who don't? I mean, you I'm not, not saying they're the same thing, but that's, that's the ch- I think, the challenge is we want an outcome. And hopefully, if we do ensure that a qualities of opportunity are present, it will produce outcomes. But it's hard to be patient. Well,
2: we've got to be patient uh, because it is important for us. To, but you're right. We... Once again, we don't want to be patient. We've got to be patient. But some will say, well, we've been patient for so many years. Right. I agree. We have been patient. But I think part of the journey has been is we've been patient, but we've been, we haven't been we have been proactive. Right, right. Uh, yes, you've got to be patient, but you've got to be proactive. You've got to be intentional. There's got to be a plan in place. You know, the the, the saying is, and it's a, it's a great one, if you fail to plan, you yes. plan to fail. Right, right we we have not planned well we have not intentionally addressed these issues well yes we want equity but you can't have equity when you're starting on a playing field that isn't level Right, sure. The playing field is not level for for every nationality and cultural and ethnic group. It's never been level. Right. Uh, there is, the reality is some are far more advantageous because of socioeconomic benefits, because of cultural benefits, because of gender benefits, because economic and, and educational benefits. Right, right. Uh, you, you know, we know the reality is we can tell you there is direct correlation between where you live what family you come from, what education you have with your ultimate outcome. We know that the percentage of people that have been incarcerated in our prisons and our jails and our juvenile detention centres is a direct result of an unequitable system. I mean, it's not, this is research that I'm not talking about just American specific, but globally that cannot be denied. It's reality. We've got to be willing to accept there is some realities that we
1: have to acknowledge. Absolutely. And then
2: work from there.
1: Yeah. And that and that's where I think it's the application of that equality of opportunity so that everybody has a chance to be able to have access the same benefits and to be able to put whatever effort needs to be put forward. To And, and this is the same thing. I think this kind of even leads to the way we think about the uh, nature of salvation ministry is that it, it, particularly to those who are suffering in homelessness, who, who are people created in God's image who are homeless. What does it take to, for them to get out of homelessness? Um, it does come to a place where you have to enable people to respond of their own free will to be able to take steps out of homelessness or, or t- to take steps to, act, but unfortunately, if people are on the street, they don't have much time to think about those type of things. We have to be able to present them with opportunities. And I think that's part of what has been encouraging to me about your story. However, before I get to that, I want, uh, anything else you want to say on the, on the task force? I, and we could talk uh, no, for hours look, on it.
2: We could, we could spend a long time on it, but you got other things you want to talk
1: about. Oh, I do, absolutely. I was really intrigued. Now, now you serve—people in the Southern Territory might not get the, the role. I said you're the DS for Orange County. Um, it's similar to being, like, in my role as an area commander for Hillsborough County, two very popular counties in our country, which people seem to talk a lot about. Um, and I also serve as the pastor for the Tampa—or the Corps officer for the Tampa Salvation Army Church. Um, and there's other cores. There's another core in our area. Well, that's a, a similar thing for you where they're, in Orange County, there's multiple expressions of the Salvation Army's mission, including at least one core, the, the famous Tustin Ranch core. Are there other cores within Orange yeah. County?
2: Yeah. There's Anaheim core, uh, there's Santa Ana core, as okay. well as
1: Tustin Ranch. Oh, there's okay. three
2: cores. There used to be four. Uh, one recently closed. Gotcha.
1: Okay. So, so, but you do that, but you also have the additional responsibility on top of that to in on the divisional headquarters. So I, when I start complaining about all the things I have to do, I'm just going to uh, think about you and all you have to do. Oh, come on, Andy. <laughs> no. Yeah,
2: so I, I, I play in different sandboxes, um, but we play for the same outcomes and same goals. Amen. And really, I think the real crux of the matter is... By being involved with the divisional leadership team, it means that the the levels of interaction between county commands or or, uh, coordinations are are, are in alignment. We very much try to be aligned so that the vision and the mission of the Salvation Army across
1: the division is in alignment and so that we're all working towards the same goals. Right. That's beautiful. And that's how, I mean, it, there used, it used to be that even this territory and still other territories, often like the the person who's responsible for the major cities area is a, the general secretary or a divisional secretary of some kind. So right. it makes a lot of sense for it to, to work that way. This episode of Captain's Corner is brought to you by WPO Development. I have a good friend, Keith Waters, who's the CEO of WPO Development, and he has a phrase he uses all the time that I've found to be very helpful, and it's this. If you don't know where you are going, any path will take you there. Isn't that true, both in our personal lives and especially in our ministries? It is critical that we all have a clear plan and a path. To where we want to go keith and his company wpo have worked with the salvation army and other ministries across the country and can help you develop a strong mission planning study all the way up to managing a capital campaign i'm currently working with keith and his team here in tampa and would urge you to contact them if you have any planning or campaign needs at info at wpodevelopment.com or you can just google them and find their website as well god bless you But you had the unique thing when you came to Orange County, I'd love for you just to tell a story. I'll try to be quiet and disengage engage you here and there with it. When you came and observed homelessness in Anaheim and developed oh, yeah. a solution there, I, I would love for you to tell my listeners about that.
2: So let me give you just the context and to your listeners uh, who have been very patient with us this morning, <laughs> uh, uh, the context is, is, is this. Uh, we had just come back from a family vacation in South Africa. Okay. Uh, so my, my, my immediate family and my brother's immediate family and my mother traveled to South Africa for Christmas. And uh, we had visited Soweto. Uh, and if people understand the context of Soweto, Soweto is like a, a, a tin shack town. Mm. It's a shanty town uh, where, you know, you see poverty and absolute poverty. And you see it on a, on, a, on a world scale like nothing else. And we, we traveled through and we saw some really incredibly poor communities, poor sites. We also saw some incredible beauty going through safaris and all the rest of it. But uh, so we arrived in the U.S. And the first couple of days, week one that we're here, my wife and I are driving on the five. And we look across and we see the Angel Stadium. And we see the major angel, which is iconic worldwide, you know, that angel. Stadium and that angel is iconic, right? right Everyone right, right, knows right. about it. You know, Anaheim is well known globally because of its Disneyland, its angels. It's just, it's just simply iconic. But what, what confronted me was something that took me by surprise. Hmm. Here is the sixth largest economy in the United States, Orange County, wealthy, affluent, and there on the very River Trail, we saw thousands, I'm not exaggerating when I say thousands of displaced people. Wow! In fact, it, it, it actually shocked me to the very core of my being that my wife and I had to pull our car over and walk down and begin a journey of actually asking and talking and engaging with the homeless on the riverbed of Anaheim that day. Mm. We walked for what was miles. I think we ended up walking for nearly four to six miles. Mm. And we spent hours just talking to people, listening to their stories. And my mind went from two places. My mind went from what I just saw in South Africa to what I saw even three years prior to my visit to South Africa when part of my role within the Salvation Army called me to travel from Southern Africa right up to the tip of West Africa. Mm. When I traveled through refugee camps one after the other, and saw poverty on a scale like you would not ever imagine. Wow! And so as I did that, my mind just started just to go into overload. And I saw these homeless people here are no different to the refugees that I saw in many parts of Africa. Wow! They're no different to these. These are displaced people. Right. facing a humanitarian crisis like we've never seen before. They were telling me that there were families, there were mom and dad with children right. in tents. They were telling me that p- women were getting raped and people were getting accosted and abused and a, uh, the situation was out of control. And I asked myself the question, how can it be, Lord, that in this wealthy, affluent nation, United States,
1: mm-hmm.
2: can we have this global crisis of homelessness? Right, right. And so, Andy, uh, I, I, I gathered my team when I arrived in. They thought, what on earth? He's only been here for less than a week. And I said, friends, I really feel that God has laid upon our hearts that we need to respond.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We have a homeless crisis here in Orange County. In fact, we have a homeless crisis across the United States, but it starts here in our backyard. What are we going to do? Right. And that began a journey to for us to actually say, okay, we need to dream big. We need to dream that the impossible can be possible, and we need to begin to actually work out how we're going to address it. So I, I didn't know what I started. You know, like all people, I Googled. ha. <laughs> how to solve homelessness. Uh, and you know what? A number of, not, no answers came up, but a number of ideas started to flood our minds. And we saw what they were doing in Chicago with the freedom center.
1: Okay. Yeah, sure.
2: And we started making some investigations, inquiries And before long. What we did is we took just an image of the freedom center. And I asked to meet with the mayor of Anaheim and I said to the city mayor, uh, a manager i said oh, we need a meeting with the mayor and they said well the mayor is a very busy man i don't think he has time to meet with you okay and so they said to us well we can give you half an hour but as half an hour as we're sitting in the waiting room to see the mayor and time and a lot of time was started to diminish it looked like there was only going to be five minutes left wow i remember walking to the mayor's office and say mayor uh mayor tom tate him and i chatted and i said mayor um uh, this is what I'm proposing. I'm proposing that we revolutionize the way we deal with homelessness. And I was using some of my understanding and knowledge of dealing with refugees as I did, and I, and I gave him a granular plan. And when he looked at me, they laughed at me. They said, huh. this is not possible. But more than five minutes in the conversation, you know that the Spirit of God is moving because this is not done by might or power, but it is by the Spirit of Amen. God that we move yes. and minister. Right. And God started moving this mayor's heart that he actually looks at me and he says to me, you are not joking. You're serious about what you're proposing. And before long, the the group in the room doubled and tripled and we had the city planner in and we had the assistant mayor in. And, you know, before long, we had a room full of men and women. Right, right. Talking about a homeless solution. Wow. Because then the city recognized that we could be actually partners in a homeless solution. That right. we were coming as willing partners, and you know what? I've got to tell you, Andy. You know, we went in there with not really the best of plans.
1: Okay, interesting.
2: But God used A, our willingness. Right. God used our determination, our persistence, and our resilience to actually broker something. That was absolute revolution. The mayor, as we were finishing up in the room, and this was the first meeting, there's many meetings as we're finishing up in the room, the mayor and I caught our eye with the eye, and I, I looked at him and I said, Mayor, I need to pray for you. Hmm. And the mayor said, uh, Okay. And I said to him, and as I started praying for him, the Spirit of God started revealing prophetically okay. things over the mayor's life that we need to pray for. Okay, beautiful. And in that process, we started praying over the mayor. And the the mayor falls to his knees, opens up his hands towards heaven, and begins to weep as God, the Holy Spirit, starts to interact with him Hmm. and starts to shift in his mind and his heart. See, what was happening in this, and you know what? The city leader sitting around the the room started saying to me, you know what? We've never, ever had a meeting like this before. Hmm. And, and something defined what we did there that day,
1: hmm.
2: that yes, we have a homeless problem, yes, we have an injustice problem, right. but before all else, we have a spiritual problem. Right,
1: absolutely, yeah.
2: And when we get into the spiritual dimension of what the issues are, that's when we start to actually resolve the issues that are facing us on this world and this earth. So I can tell you this. Let me fast track this a little bit because I don't want to bore your listeners too much. But the incredible result of that story is we built a homeless shelter for 224 beds in 78 days.
1: 78 days. 78 days. Before we
2: even did anything, what we used to do is we had the city planner, the city engineer, we had all the city Team, we would meet on the empty block of land and we would pray together wow now the city leaders were saying to us we've never ever done a project this way before somewhere in this whole dynamic of spiritual leadership God's Holy Spirit was doing things we had we had architects working for us on this project without even a contract wow Amazing. The Salvation Army had never ever done a project like this before. We 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 did things in such an unconventional was way. going to say, yeah. That leadership were going. I don't know how you're doing this. Now, obviously, you talk about opposition. You know, the, those those rule followers, those ones yeah, that sure. every eyes to be dotted, every has to be crossed. They weren't happy about the way we did things. But you know what? That is okay. If you know what you're doing is in accordance with the will of God, yes, you persevere.
1: It's interesting you say all you this sure because persist- what happens is, like I can, uh, I can imagine it, the, the beauty of having the city and all the planners be involved is that's one of the biggest headaches is to be able to get them aligned. Much less you talk about. So we we've gone through a similar project here. I'm sure I mean people on our our board in the community, the way I was pushing would have thought I was wanting it in 78 days but I'd like to think it was because I was realistic knowing it was going to take a couple of years. But just getting through the city process and the permitting to do anything from zoning to building permits to construction to um, all those Now, here's my question. Is like, okay, so there's generally going to be significant challenges with trying to get that to happen on the local city level. But I can't imagine getting a building built in the Salvation Army, with our own process in seventy-eight days. So that's that's the. I mean, if you you got the city side. I want to know what how God's Spirit moved in such a way to convince the Salvation Army to let you do this.
2: So, so, so you know what we talk about a big picture, right?
0: right. But here, here's
2: here's the leadership lesson that I'm learning and still learning, and working on perfecting. Leadership, as John Maxwell talks about, is influence. Right, right. And it's just as important to lead up wow. as we lead across and down. We spend a lot of time leading across. Hmm. We spend some time leading down, but we spend often no time leading up.
1: Right, right. But
2: leading up is important. So at every junction, this point, we lead up.
1: Okay. We lead
2: up. Good. To so our divisional leaders, our territorial leaders. So when I went to the DC and said, you know, this is where we're at. I think we need to call the commissioner. He said, well, you call the commissioner, <laughs> but it's on you. So I did. I yeah. called the territorial commander and said, this is where we're at. And you know what? Most of our leaders, if we come with a clear, concise, compelling plan, yeah. they're on board. Right. I mean, this is not about my glory. This is not about nursing history right, no. and getting glory. This is about the kingdom of God being manifested on earth as it is in heaven. And our leadership got on board on it. The Salvation Army leadership, now, let me note this.
1: Uh-huh.
2: It wasn't easy. Sure. There were a lot of tough days and tough nights. There was a lot of prayer. There was a, you know, but, but and there was a resistance. There was the, the pulling and pushing. There was the, it was all of those tension points. But I learned something important when, it, when we read Ephesians. My battle is not against flesh and blood. Right but against principalities. And God really revealed to me very clearly when opposition comes your way, it's not that man who speaks poorly to you or angrily to you or viciously to you or critically to you. That's your problem.
1: Mm.
2: It's the spirit behind it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I never saw these men that or women, for that matter, that came with opposition as my foe. Right. I saw them. Through a different lens, and God was helping me mature and up as a leader and my character as I move forward on this journey. Wow! So yes, to answer your question,
1: they were challenging, but we did it. Yeah, yeah, and we had approvals at every level. Amazing! That, this is a remarkable story. Could you describe, like in a, in a set, like a how is it that you talk when you go into the community? And or you share with a Rotary Club or a city council, how's it you talk about your home the work that you do on behalf of those who are experiencing homelessness?
2: Well the, the the most important message that we need to say, and this is my thirty second elevator speech. Gotcha. Homelessness is not about just the drug addict and the typical people we see. Right, right, right. Every homeless person is created in the image of God. There goes my mother, my brother, my sister, Amen. my friend. Amen. And if I see them as a reflection of who God is, and I see them in that light, then my response has to be different. We need to change the framework of how we talk the conversation. So when I talk to city leaders, managers, and friends, I'm saying to them, there's a different way in which we have this conversation. There's a different spiritual dynamic that needs to happen in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And so when, you know, as I say, and I keep on quoting, Zachariah, when I say it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by the Spirit. Just as the Spirit of the Lord led his people by night, by fire, by day, by cloud, the Spirit leads us. And I honestly, and and, you know, people go, you know, you spiritualize everything. I go, you know what? Because we are spirit people. Yeah, amen. And really, when you understand the spiritual dynamic, the lift is not as hard, I think The biggest challenge we try to do is we try to do it in our our own strength and power and wisdom and cleverness and strategy. Now, don't misunderstand me. All of those elements are important, but it really is a spiritual dynamic.
1: Yeah. Four and a half years ago, just to kind of uh, illustrate that from a Tampa story— we had put together, a, we just completed a mission planning study. We were looking at some really tough complications. We had $3 million of debt. We were, the city was mad at us. Everybody was mad at us. So we we're trying to figure out how, how do we handle this? And we got the mission planning study, and one board member just said, we, we can't do this. And we just we can't we can't implement this. We're not. And, and this was actually somebody who become a very close friend of mine, a CPA, a partner at a large firm. And he just said, we just don't have the uh, capability, uh, the experience. I mean, and it was kind of reflecting on me at that moment. And it was a key moment for me because everything he was saying was correct. And I just said, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I I am not capable. We are not capable. We are entirely dependent. I'm dependent upon you to advise me. I'm a preacher, right? Primarily, I'm a preacher. uh, But even even that uh, doesn't give me any sort of skill to be able to execute this plan. But I am dependent upon your help, but most importantly, I'm dependent upon God's spirit making this happen. It and it's a total miracle that Salvation Army exists in all the communities that it's in across 131 countries, much much less the 50 United States. So, like, we have to put ourselves in a place of dependency. And I love what you said. Uh, interesting. I had opportunity. The very first podcast we had at Captain's Corner was with Horst Schultze, who was the uh, founder of the Ritz-Carlton. And he, he developed a little saying that everybody from the busboys to the manager of the hotels would say, um, that we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So you have to have respect for yourself. That's correct. A, so we changed that. So for our staff, it's similar to what you're saying, is that we are people loved by God, serving people loved by God. And we kind of love it. we have to have that in our, our mind first, like that we're loved by God, but we offer a service to people. Even when they're mean or rude, uh, this is board members and people we serve who are coming off the street, they're people loved by God as well. Nersen, you, you are a blessing. You, you are a, a bundle of spiritual energy, and I'm so thankful that you jumped the continent to come to the United States and serve with the Salvation Army here. What's next for you? What, do you, what, what are you working on right now?
2: Oh, we're working on a number of things. We're working on a homeless throughput system.
1: Okay. Because I often say, uh, and my
2: team here, we say, we don't have a homeless problem. We have a homeless through problem. Because people, once they move into our facilities, they're no longer homeless. Right, right, right. But we do have a homeless throughput problem. How do we help people on the journey of transitional living, affordable housing, finding employment, finding the steps to move through the journey of life? And often what we do very well is we do shelters very well and we do relief very well and we do emergency care very well. Uh, But what we don't do well is the strategy of actually taking people on the journey very well. It's what I often say is the biggest chance for the salvation army. We we do salvation very well. Right. We struggle with discipleship. Amen. Yeah. So the process of taking people from from that moment of transformation to that moment of actualization and that moment of self actualization is part of the journey. So, one of the things we are doing right now is working on our system. We've got a homeless prevention program, which we're now working in partnership with a number of cities, which is brilliant. Right. So, there's there's so much happening. Uh, we w- there's not a dull moment. Uh, our team are working on overdrive. Um, so we we just keep on moving forward.
1: I love it. I love I love to hear those emphases. And it and one thing is uh, I've caught some of your worship services as well. You have a great production, and you told me you had some. Talented people from uh, on the the West Coast who are able to come and help you with that, obviously, and you can check out your service. Where, or actually, where can they? What is your uh, Sunday morning worship? Where is that oh, listed? Yeah. So,
2: so it's basically we we produce it on YouTube okay. as well as on our Facebook channel. So, if you you the Salvation Army Tustin Ranch,
1: Tustin Ranch, uh, okay. we'd God. love for you
2: to connect with us and worship, uh, uh, and you'd be more than welcome to come online and be a part of our online ministry which is now uh, serving more than four and a half thousand people around the
1: globe. Um, but yeah, it's amazing you know, how it's, it's opened up doors uh, us to here with COVID. So it's been amazing how the reach has expanded in this time. Yeah.
2: God is doing a new thing. I believe God has hit the big reset button on the church. Wow. Yeah. And he's calling us to actually think life and mission and ministry differently. Yeah. So you know what? We're about advancing the God's kingdom and let's, let's do it. Let's do it as well as we
1: can amen well and you're leading us in that uh with with your example in orange county uh, thanks thanks so much for coming on and we probably need another two hours to keep going through some of the things that uh that we share passions we share together but i'm so appreciative of your time nursing god bless you as you continue to do god's work in orange county bless you andy and let's talk again soon
0: next week on the podcast we have pastor and author dr stephen elliott if you'd like to learn more about the Salvation Army of Tampa, check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.